Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. It is Wednesday, January 2nd, 2019. It's going to take me a while to get used to that. This is the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. Today, Professor Thaddeus Romanski and I are going to talk about some of the trials and scandals in the history of the church and how they might inform our understanding of what's going on right now. But first, as always, we want to welcome everyone listening to us on KEDC 88.5 FM Hearn Bryan College Station and also welcome our Central Texas listeners on KYAR 98.3 FM, Lorena Waco. And also a hello to our listeners in Palestine on KINF 107.9 FM. We are live today, so I want to encourage anyone that has something going on in their parish they'd like for us to know about, give us a call on 85-LOVE-RED-C. That's 855-683-7332. As I mentioned, I'm going to be joined by Thaddeus in the second part of this, but he's already on the microphone, and Dennis is with us also, manning the controls, so Good morning, gentlemen. Happy New Year. Good morning. Good morning, Deacon Mike. Happy New Year. And Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas season and it's Happy Christmas New Year. Season. Speaking of which, how has your holiday season been so far? I had a nice break. I had a great visit with both sides of our family. I uh, had a nice trip up to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Just a little bit, bit of illness in our family, but uh, overall, you know, gr- a great visit. Much needed rest and relaxation relaxation for me. I know that for sure. Wonderful. And uh, that is is a little under the weather, but how was your Christmas? Wonderful times with my in-laws and my parents and my sister just got to town um, over the weekend and they're going to be staying with with us or or they're going to be staying in separate lodging nearby us for about two weeks. That's what they, they traditionally do for the last five or six years. So my, my children nice. are very excited about that. Um, speaking as a BCS resident, uh, pretty sweet to see the Aggies get that nice win on, uh, was it yesterday? Two day, yeah, yesterday. Uh, Monday night. My, Monday night, two nights ago. That was exciting. Um, and very happy to be, uh, be here in 2019. Looking forward to uh, a good 2019. Wonderful. Uh, One of the things that I wanted to talk a little bit about in our first segment here is uh, what's going on at the radio station. And Dennis, you have a wonderful card that you wanted to share with us. A card, yes. We have Christmas greetings from behind bars. As a matter of fact, we got a Christmas card from Gatesville, the Hamilton, not the Hamilton, the Hughes unit there in in, uh, Gatesville from our listeners. And we have a, a, a man by the name of Eric, and he writes to us a, a great greeting for Red Sea Catholic Radio. It says, Dearest friends, wanting to thank you for your amazing ministry. So many of us here behind the fences of prison depend on you for the face of Jesus each day. You make a tremendous difference. Wishing all 
you and all you hold dear a very Merry Christmas and a happy and healthy New Year. So that's that's quite um, quite a touching uh, testimony that we got there that our station 98.3 reaches out to Gatesville. And I uh, understand there are quite a few units there in Gatesville, and uh, that's just a sample from one of them. So it's quite a blessing we received from from Eric. And I think this is a reminder of how important Catholic radio is yes. to the greater community because we reach people that are not able to go to Mass on a regular basis. Right. Be they homebound, be they in prison, uh, but through Catholic radio, we can evangelize yes to these people which brings me up nice segue into yes we are one of the few stations that has a rather unique programming model we do we do and we have relevant radio programs we have mm-hmm. ewtn's programs exactly. and we have local programs we do and um dennis would you talk to our listeners a little bit about how they can help us sure. in the programming. Well, one thing that they'll notice is uh, they, they hear a lot of switching back and forth. And so uh, if anyone is curious about our exact programming, they can go to our website at redcradio.org and click on the, either the program uh, link, programming schedule link, or if they go down to resources and pull down, it'll show our 24-7 what is live, what is not live, uh, what is tape recorded. Um, but it also distinguishes what is EWTN national programming that we receive over the satellite uh, reception or what is relevant radio. And so we have the opportunity and actually take the opportunity to be a part-time affiliate of both national entities. And as Deacon Mike said, you're listening right now to one of our local shows as well as four others that we produce on, uh, and then that's on the schedule as well in the color blue. So um, most affiliates that I know around the country will carry either all EWTN or all relevant radio and maybe do one or two local shows. And so what we do that's unique is we like to carry the best of both and somehow fit that all into one schedule. Uh, Sometimes we have to tape delay things, but we also have five hours of local programming in addition to the already short-form programming on the breaks that you hear, which is uh, local prayers, local spots from uh, local churches, information from area pastors in each of our listening areas. So that's something that we value as a local affiliate of both EWTN and Relevant Radio is the ability to serve our local audiences. And so I think you were mentioning that we could give out the, the phone number or have people contact us through our website if they have any input on programming if they can't so you know some of our programming is polar polarizing so dr ray for example some people either love them and some people either hate them so you know we've got both people in both camps but we we also if we hear enough input from people that they don't like a certain program and that's all we're hearing we value that input and we can make changes in programming and so if someone in the listening community has a program that they really, really like, exactly. it's helpful if they let us know, because if all we're getting is negative feedback, we don't know about exactly. the people that really like that program. We love feedback here. So the, the, the Christmas card from Eric behind bars was quite a nice feedback. We get great testimonies about how Red, uh, Red Sea Radio has touched people's lives, but specific programming, we would love to hear positive and negative. 
And uh, again, uh, feel free to give us a call on our uh, phone number. That mm-hmm. is 85LoveRedC, 855-683-7332, or at our website, website. as redcradio.org. Or if you want to call my personal cell phone and have a chat with me, I don't mind giving that out over the air. It's 979-255-2633. That's my cell phone for the radio station. And love to chat with people about what they think about our programming, specific programs or in general. Um, I can talk about one change that we are making according to our listeners' uh, requests and in, in, in input. Coming up in the next week or two, you'll hear a change at the 12 o'clock Monday-Friday spot. So many people love Father John Ricardo's programming, uh, Christ is the Answer. And um, we were able to, to visit with him in person and, and listen to him at our recent Catholic radio conference. He is a really strong, strong deliver, deliverer of um, homilies and, and great information about our faith. And so... We've decided to overlap his program instead of having uh, Go Ask Your Father on Monday, Friday. We're going to have an additional two hours of Christ is the Answer by Father John Ricardo on Monday and Friday at noon. So that's one of the examples that we heard from our listeners of, of a change that they would they would love to see. And so uh, because of both positive and ne- negative feedback about specific programs, that's that's an example of some things. We also don't have, always have a choice. If we're an EWTN, when they change their program, since we're an EWTN affiliate, we can either change with them or make some substitutions there. So sometimes changes have to be made because of what happens on the national level, but we have lots of freedom to uh, choose from two different EWTN feeds, as well as a relevant radio feed, as well as our local programming. So, And also this gives us an opportunity being that flexible that if we have a lot of programmings dealing with the intellectual side of our faith, mm-hmm. we can add in programs such as uh, um, the change we're making to have a more spiritual aspect exactly. of our, uh, the programming. More so, devotional programming or, or more apologetic programming. We, can, we have that freedom to do that. Right. But uh, in order to find out what it is that our listeners would like us to focus on, mm-hmm. we need feedback. So if you have uh, something that you would like for us to be aware of, please let us Mm -hmm. know. Go to our website at redcradio.org. They could also download one of our apps at red-c radio, either KEDC or KYAR. And there's a contact button right there and it goes straight to our email box. So yes. And the app is absolutely wonderful. If you have not uh, downloaded that app yet, we're pushing 700 down downloads so far and it just keeps increasing. So on both of those app, those apps. So we're very excited about the, the people using that app for their, their listening pleasure. As I was driving in to the radio station this mm-hmm. morning, I was listening to Patrick Madrid, and Patrick had a caller that was talking about reading the Bible, and mm-hmm. she wasn't getting as much out of it as she thought she should. Right. And she was looking for help in how she could enhance her reading of the Bible, how she could uh, find ways that it would be more fruitful. And so um, here in our local area, uh, in Bryan College Station, there's a couple of things that we have uh, to offer. Um, 
at St. Anthony's, we're going to be offering a Bible study on unlocking the mystery of the Bible. It's a Jeff Caven study. Uh, it's an eight-week study. It starts January 15th, and um, it's from 6.30 to 8.15 in the evening in our uh, conference room at St. Anthony's. And this is a wonderful tool for people to start out reading the Bible in a way that is beneficial to their understanding of what's going on because it lays out how all the books are interrelated and it helps understand that there's a distinct connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament and that there is a story that runs through Scripture that sometimes gets confused when we focus on the wrong books in the wrong order. A lot of people start with uh, some of the books in the beginning and then they get bogged down pretty bad because they don't understand the whole timeline and how that all pieces together. So Yes, a story you usually hear is <laughs> January 1st, everyone starts reading the Bible and they start with the book of Genesis. And by the time they get to Leviticus, they throw the book on the coffee table and say, I'm done. You know, yeah, Leviticus can be quite a, a hurdle for a lot of people. So but again, I I know I very much enjoyed the the timeline and seeing how everything put together. Jeff Cavins is is very down to earth. So yeah, if anyone has any opportunity to participate, and Deacon Mike, you're leading it as well. Yes. So how can you go wrong? Uh, one other thing that we're offering uh, at St. Anthony's for our parishioners, uh, the parish and uh, Father Joseph provided a gift to all parishioners, uh, to every family. They got a copy of the book, The Biggest, uh, Biggest Lie in the History of Christianity. And uh, in order to form community, we're going to do a book study on that book over three sessions. We're offering it uh, twice a week on Mondays, January 7th, January 14th, and January 21st from 6 to 730 and also on Thursdays at noon to 1.30 on the 10th, the 17th, and the 24th. This is um, an opportunity to come together and uh, talk about what you got out of that book. And uh, I have found that it's always nice to hear other people's mm -hmm. uh, takes on reading something because we tend to read things in our own way. And then when someone else brings up an idea that they formed by reading something, we suddenly look at it from a totally different perspective. So uh, I encourage everyone that uh, got the book at St. Anthony's to attend one of the um, two uh, sessions to uh, talk about it. And again, we'll cover five of the chapters, and they're very short. They're like a page and a half, the two pages of the chapter. So yeah. Uh, uh, five chapters sounds like a lot till you actually start reading it. And it's a Matthew Kelly book, and so it's very simple read, and but very deep and simple to read, but very deep in meaning. So yes. I think that Bible, that book study, would be something that I think would be very beneficial for people to attend. Right, and if you're interested in something a little more in depth, uh, Cedar Break is having their first biblical institute this weekend from January fourth to the sixth. From uh, starts 7 p.m. on Friday and ends at 11.30 a.m. on Sunday. And uh, this is led by Franciscan Father Bill Burton, and he's looking at the Gospel of John, the most theological of the Gospels. And so if you are interested in a much deeper take on this, uh, go on the Cedar Break website and uh, register. I uh, uh, 
Uh, I'm sure they still have room, and uh, but this is a wonderful way to start the new year, uh, to take a look at scriptures and um, how it impacts our lives and especially how it forms us. And this is a wonderful way to start out in the new year. Cedarbreak.org. Cedarbreak.org. Uh, you can also get to it from the diocesan website. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about is um, the fact that um, one of the things that we always need is people to lead our religious education classes, catechists. And um, I often hear people tell me that, well, I don't feel competent to do this, so I don't uh, think I have the gifts to do this. Well, one of the wonderful things in the Diocese of Austin is the diocese provides training for all our catechists. And so I encourage anyone that's interested in uh, becoming a catechist First, check with your diocese and talk to them about becoming a catechist, and then take advantage of some of the classes uh, offered on the uh, diocesan website, and there are classes that are both in Austin at times, and then they're online, and they're also, some of them are local. And I know here locally we've been offering all the catechist year one training classes where you can pretty much finish them up in six months. and. I've heard we're going to continue trying to do that. So if you're considering becoming a catechist, if you are a catechist, and if you are a catechist, thank you very much. But I would encourage everyone to take a look at uh, forming uh, catechists and uh, taking some of those classes. Again, uh, I was talking about the things available at St. Anthony's. Uh, all the parishes offer mm -hmm. various programs to help us, especially starting out in the new year, to get closer to our faith. And so I encourage everyone in your parish, find out programs that are available, but also, if there isn't one, start one. Start one and then promote it on the air. Yes. We, can, we can do that for you. Exactly. That's why we give out the phone numbers and uh, if you have a program that you are starting or you have a program that's going on and you would like people to know about it, give us a call at 85LOVERED-C, 855-683-7332. Or you can go to our website, click on the Your On-Air Spots, or through the web, uh, not only through the web, but through our on-air uh, app on either KEDC or KYAR. You can click on Spots and you can actually propose and submit spots for us to air and promote your programming there as well. Right. And that way, you again, you get the word out to people that may not read the bulletin, that may not have paid attention during the announcements. And uh, it is a wonderful way to let other people know what is being offered, because it is great to have things offered, but if people don't know about them, yeah, it doesn't do much good. So... Take the opportunity to let us know. We're here for you. Yes. Well, we're going to go ahead and go to a break, and we will see you on the other side. Red Sea Roundup 2019 edition. <laughs>
And we are back. Welcome back to the Red Sea Roundup for January 2nd, 2019. I'm still struggling with that 2019 thing. It's just a matter of time. You'll get you'll get used to it. Yeah, by July I should have this doubt. <laughs> I can't make him laugh. Uh, January 2nd is the feast day of two saints who were best friends. Matter of fact, they got baptized together on the same day. Yeah. Uh, St. Basil the Great and St. Gregory Nazianzen. And uh, one of the things we were going to do today is talk a little bit about some of the issues in the church throughout the centuries that caused major uproar, that caused major concern for Catholics around the world. Mm -hmm. And one of the interesting things about St. Gregory and St. Basil is the fact that during two of these things that we were going to talk about, they were alive, yeah, and they were great proponents of the Orthodox teaching of the Church. Right, right. Yeah, they're both known for their teaching on the Holy Trinity, uh, which was <coughs> at the center of um, the Arian controversy, which we're going to kind of start out with the Arian and the Donatist controversies. And so, yeah, they were there defending the teaching that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, right. God the Son. Um, and I think three three themes that you wanted to come back to as we talked this morning was time, truth, and no, we're not going to have another T word, folks, saints. Time, truth, and saints. We're going to be, I think Deacon Mike, in investigating these episodes, going back over them, we were both surprised at how long they lasted you when you read them when you read them in your western civilization textbook or your your world history class when you learn about them which everybody does in their spare time yeah yeah but you know going back to your to your youth um i don't think you really grasp how long the the thing goes on for um and it's because it's just one episode in a very long span of time that you're trying to kind of get your arms around um and I think that is a, a, a warning or a, um, a maybe a bitter pill to swallow in the times in which we find ourselves now, because that means, as we were saying off the air, uh, maybe buckle your seatbelts. We're in for a bumpy ride, right? Yes, and I think uh, it's a caution that we want instantaneous results. We want everything to be worked out immediately. Right. And this is not the way it works, uh, especially not in the church, because the thing that the church deals with is truth. And it very often requires a long period of time before the entire truth comes out. Mm -hmm. And a perfect example of this is, the no, uh, is Arianism. The idea that uh, the priest Arius read scripture and came to the conclusion that if Jesus was the begotten Son of God, then he can't be God. Because if God was there first and he begot a son, then there was a time that Jesus didn't exist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so this was his position, and he was extremely persuasive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so... And the theological tradition he was kind of coming out of, 
he, in, in some of the sources I've read, he was also, he had a hard time squaring God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, although those terms still weren't even right. formalized, and the simplicity, the unity of of one God, of a monotheistic belief. Those those were sort those were incompatible for him, and that's why he then argued Christ Jesus must be a creature. Right. Because uh, it's taking creature, away something. Yes. It's taking away from God's majesty, right. God the Father's majesty. And this again is. is we were talking about the truth, taking time, because the orthodox teaching of the church was that God was a trinity. No one could explain yet how that worked. And so for Arius, this was a non sequitur. You know, if we have one God, monotheism, mm-hmm. then it can't be three. And so... This is, was Arius' uh, position, and he was so convincing in teaching this that for years there were bishops that followed him instead of the orthodox teaching of the church. And there were times in the church when there were more Arian bishops than there were orthodox bishops. Right, right. So I think we're, we're, our plan is be, today we're going to talk about Donatism, Arianism, uh, maybe a little bit about the a crisis in the 11th century in the Church, the Avignon Papacy and the Great Western Schism, the Reformation, and may, maybe was that was that the com- well? The, I was going to touch gonna on Alexander the Sixth just uh, yeah. a little bit, yeah. mainly because of the moral issues involved yeah. there, and that's kind of a precursor to the Reformation, anyway. Right? So. Yeah. So it led right up to it. Right. So, but again, the whole gist of what we wanted to bring up is the fact that we're dealing with a crisis in the church right now. Right. It's not the first crisis in the church. It is not going to be the last crisis in the church. And it is going to be a matter of time before Mm -hmm. the whole truth comes out in any of this. Mm -hmm. And so as we look at these instances, I want everyone just to be aware of the fact that as Catholic Christians, our primary concern must be the truth. Not how we feel about what's going on. Right. But what is the ultimate truth? Right. And I think that applies to um, kind of natural truth in terms of what what is actually happening on the ground, knowing what, you know, did so-and-so actually say this? Did so-and-so actually do this? Do we know why? So that kind of, that kind of level of truth. And then obviously a concern for preserving doctrine and dogma. Exactly. Um and then we said our third theme was going to be saints, that there, that God always raises up saints during these crises. Some of the greatest saints of the Church have come about because of these different crises, and we hope, that's, this is part of our virtue of hope, our theological virtue of hope, that saints will arise again during this crisis. And I've heard this over and over again. But it's going to take time before we can recognize who they are. <laughs> exactly. But it is a constant reminder that each one of us is called to personal holiness. That's right. And so how do we influence what's going on in the church? We 
try to live holy lives. Living lives of holiness. That's right. That's right. Uh, we talked a little bit about Arianism, and um, the main reason I wanted to bring it up is because of the length of time it took for this to work itself out, yeah. for orthodoxy, for the truth to prevail. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, there was political thing issues that led into this. There were theological issues that were... Can, can I be the nerdy history professor and preempt you before you get rolling? Just because I just want to point out, so Arianism, Donatism, we're talking about 4th century AD, so about 300 years after Christ's death, folks. Roman Empire, okay? Uh, you've got a unified kind of culture, political um, authority in Europe, Mediterranean, Africa, Northern Africa is under Roman um, control, and that's going to figure prominently in our story, um, as well as the the Near East, uh, Turkey, what's now considered the Middle East. That's that's Roman territory as well. Um, Rome, uh, Christianity is not yet the state religion. It doesn't even have. Um, Legitimacy, at legitimacy the time. toleration. Yet, when this whole thing gets rolling with the Donatists, actually, persecu- state persecution is part of what leads into the Donatist controversy. Um, so that's that's kind of where we are in Western history, world world history at this point. Okay, carry on. All right, and uh, since you brought uh, brought up the Donatist controversy, and uh, it overlaps with yeah. Arianism, which yeah. is fascinating that we have two crises in the church. Two heresies at one time. Two heresies at one time overlapping and not necessarily supported by the same people. Right. Um, but as uh, Thaddeus mentioned, the Donatist controversy had something to do with the persecutions. And what would happen is people would be baptized. They would become priests. Mm-hmm. They would become bishops. Deacons. Deacons. Let's not pick on de- No. Uh, deacons. And uh, if caught and accused of being Christians, they would be asked to turn over whatever scriptures they right. had. Right. And so if you were clergy, you would have scrolls. You would have manuscripts. Right. And part of the rule was you would have to deny your Christianity or you would be killed. Mm -hmm. And part of that denial was turning over Mm -hmm. whatever scriptures you have. Mm -hmm. Well, in the church, um, the term for these people, um, and it always makes me think of traitors, although that's not the same word, uh, it's tradiores. And um, it's the people that turned over the scriptures. Well, as with most things, when we do something that we shouldn't do, we regret it rather quickly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the clerics that did this regretted it and wanted to come back into the church. Yeah. And the Donatists said, no can do. Mm-hmm. Because especially the clergy needs to be faithful. The clergy needs to be basically perfect Mm -hmm. in what they do. Otherwise, the sacraments aren't any good. Yeah. 
Yeah, in fact, uh, Tertullian, who's who's not a saint, but he's a revered writer uh, from about, I think he was maybe a century earlier or something, Mm -hmm. he had already said, he had already been arguing, if you abandon your faith during persecution, then you're permanently excommunicated. And so some of these, some Christians were following his line of argument. Yes. And so um, in steps St. Augustine, who says if we expect our clergy to be perfect, we won't have any clergy. And Mm -hmm. that if we truly trust in what Jesus has told us, the sacraments are not dependent on the worthiness of the minister. The sacraments are dependent on the worthiness of Christ. And he had this uh, fancy uh, Latin slogan, ex opere operato, which basically just means that it is in the act that the sacrament is fulfilled. It is by the minister doing it, not by the worth of the minister doing it. It is in the fact that that is what the minister intends to do, and through ordination, he has been given the authority to do this because the authority is not reliant on the minister. The authority is reliant on Christ. And so, again, this didn't sit well with a lot of people because, again, these people betrayed their faith. These people are not worthy of being ministers according to their opinion. And so, again, this is one of these um, discussions that drug on Mm -hmm. for almost two centuries. Yeah, I found in the Catholic Encyclopedia, it uh, reports the uh, story of a bishop, Sylvanus, in Africa, who was a traditor. He assisted the Roman consul to, um, or the, the, the procurator to, in the uh, persecution, along with two priests and a deacon, they uh, helped him out stealing some um, casks of vinegar, and he ordained a priest for uh, a payment of about $1,000, and that none of the money given by uh, this woman um, to him for help to the poor had reached the poor, and that he was basically this, you know, so... He was a corrupt man. He was a corrupt hierarch. Um, and here, early as early as the fourth century, you've got people in the hierarchy who are, you know, doing things to save their own skins or to help ingratiate themselves or enrich themselves. But where this going to happen to this um, <coughs> controversy is the fact that here is someone maintaining that the clergy needs to be. Without fault, because of the people that had, under great oppression, renounced their faith. Right, right. He was he was a donatist, but here he was actually uh, helping out the bad guys. Yeah. And again, the reason we're talking about this is because we get so caught up in the details of the things that we hear. Right. That we sometimes fail to recognize that the whole truth right. is usually not found out yeah. immediately. Yeah, and also, this is an example, it's, it's not to let the current crisis 
you know, just roll off your back and ignore it. It's more to say, don't, <clears throat> don't be a pearl clutcher. Don't say, oh, I can't believe that, you know, someone who wears a red or purple would, would do this, but instead recommit yourself to leading a more holy life, recommit yourself to prayer, recommit yourself to greater penance, greater acts of mortification, right? Uh, because, because we're embroiled in this. Exactly. And uh, our prayer life needs to increase. Our orthodoxy needs mm-hmm. to increase. Our support of the clergy that are doing what they're supposed to be doing needs to increase. Right. Other, right. In short, we need to live holier lives <laughs> because some of the people involved in this scandal are going to be held accountable. And uh, it is going to impact the church. And if that is the only image of the church that we see, if we do not see the holiness of the church, it can really damage the church for long periods of time. That's right. Exactly. So then that, like you said, there's not just donatism that's attacking the church, but there's also Arianism that's raising its ugly head at the same time, but it's of a completely different stripe. Right. Talk to us about Arianism. Right. Where Donatism was more a um, regulation type thing. How do we regulate the clergy? How do we uh, lay out who can and cannot be uh, doing the sacraments and this uh, outside of Holy orders, because once you have received holy orders, you have received holy orders. You are indelibly marked. So uh, this was more of an administrative decision than a theological decision. But Arianism, on the other hand, was strictly a theological decision. Arius, again, was under the impression that the only person that we should talk about as God is God the Father, and that Jesus, while a divine uh, creation of God, was not God. Just as an aside, we still see Arianism alive and well in some of the teachings uh, teachings of the Mormon Church. Uh, But for Arius, he was so convincing that so many of the bishops sided with him. And again, as the church was becoming legitimate, as the church entered into the public sphere in the Roman Empire, even the emperor took sides. And this now added a political aspect to this. This is the Emperor Constantine we're talking about, okay, who who first granted toleration to Christianity. But he was under the influence of a... Bishop uh, Eusebius of Nicomedia, he was like the kind of the chaplain to the imperial household, and this Eusebius was an Arian. He had been influenced by Arius's teachings. So then Constantine was kind of leaning towards Arianism, but there was already <coughs> starting to be quite a bit of dissension and debate in the hierarchy throughout in the different patriarchies about what's the correct teaching. So Constantine says, we need to have a council, church council, correct? Council of Nicaea. Nicaea. Carry on. And um, 
again, we mentioned the fact that uh, saints will pop up when you need them the most. Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite saints is Saint Athanasius, because he was a deacon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he was one of the major theological influences in the Council of Nicaea. And so what's interesting is that every time we go to Mass, we recite the Creed. Mm-hmm. We re- most of the time we recite the Nicene Creed. And if you have ever wondered why the Nicene Creed is so much longer than the uh, Apostles' Creed, it is because of the Arian controversy. Exactly. And I want to throw in there that one of the main pugilistic influences at the Council of Nicaea was St. Nicholas, who have evidently slapped or punched Arius in the face and pulled his beard. Yes. Pulled the whiskers. Oh. He was so enraged by this heterodox teaching and the division the that it was causing within the church that Nicholas uh, went to blows with, with him. And uh, that's Santa Claus, folks. Yes, uh, which is not an image you usually see on the Christmas cards. But uh, again, it took a long time uh, for this to work itself out because even after the Nicene Creed, uh, Arianism was not stamped out. No, 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 it wasn't. And so uh, this carried on for several more years. Uh, until finally you had orthodoxy take hold and most of the churches would recite the Nicene Creed and uh, the theology behind what the church was teaching became much more refined and uh, people were able to understand what exactly it meant and we needed a whole new language. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm We uh, used the word uh, consubstantial homoousis, which was one of the words coined to explain how Jesus could be God. Right. And um, Hitchcock, in his his history of the Catholic Church that I consulted, he points out that um, it's one letter, one Greek letter, is the difference between what the Arians were saying and what the Orthodox were saying. So homo... Usios, the same as the Father, is the Orthodox position, H-O-M-O, and homoi usios, like the Father, is the Arian position, so H-O-M-O-I, one iota, the Greek letter iota. And I believe that's where the phrase, I will not change one iota, comes from this Arian controversy, yes? Yes, it's always fascinating to me how many little proverbs or anecdotal statements we have that are based on scripture that we use every day and don't realize where they came from, or, uh, of course, from the teaching of the church. So, again, over time, uh, the Arian controversy pretty much died out, and um, um, let's jump forward a little— Actually, I'm sorry—can we actually talk about one other episode or part of the Arian controversy? Real quickly, Mm -hmm. just that part of what kind of gave continued life to the Arian controversy were the actions of the Pope Liberius, where he was, he sent uh, delegates to a 
another council at Arles, which was after Nicaea, they went along with a decree that sort of gave some more new life to Arian teachings, then he condemned that signature by his delegates, but then he was imprisoned. And while he was imprisoned, he knuckled under and signed something that's saying, okay, well, I go along with that. And then when he got out, he repudiated his signing, his signing of the decree that he was going along with the, the uh, kind of pro-Aryan teachings. Um, so I just think that, that that's an example of the lack of heroic virtue by a pope, which we, we, we shouldn't expect every single one of them to be saints. We're not saying that, but when a pope waffles, when a pope's not clear in the way he proclaims the truth or stands for Catholic doctrine or dogma, it allows heresy to, to continue to, to maybe to flourish. Um, it, 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 it prevents that her- heresy from being stamped out. That's it's one thing that is prevented. So, I think well, that's a pla- I think that's applicable for to to our situation today. Well, but it goes right back to what we were talking about the matter of time. We trust that the church is guided by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So all these things work themselves out to where they're supposed to be. It is as they're going on that we tend to see confusion and issues that uh, we perceive that have not yet worked themselves out. Reminds me of uh, Bishop Barron's comment about uh, the, uh, um, oh, uh, the meeting of the bishops uh, where he said that it's never a good idea to watch how sausage is being made. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, because you stop eating sausage, uh, but uh, we uh, a lot of times need to allow things to work themselves out when we think there's confusion, even when there is confusion, that ultimately the Holy Spirit will guide the church to where it needs to be. Uh, absolutely. And uh, our theme of time, Council of Nicaea 325, Theodosius finally decrees Arianism just, you know, it's... Uh, no good, 388. So that's, you know, like 60 years, 65 years almost. Uh, More than a generation. Put that, put that in perspective of what we're living through right now. Yes. Uh, One other thing that we wanted to talk about is the, what's known as the Western Schism or the Papal Schism. And um, this was a time in the church when, um, the church struggled with who was pope. Yeah. Uh, we had a pope elected, uh, uh, Urban VI, and um, the people who elected him became disenchanted, moved to France, and elected another pope. Right. And um, Yeah, the cardinals who elected him <laughs> decided they didn't like him because he was, you know, a little bit too brash. And so they, some of them peel off and go to France, have a conclave there, elect an anti-pope. Right. And in addition to that, both of them, of course, excommunicated each other. Mm -hmm. 
And so in order to try to fix the problem, they elected a third pope. And it took, again, several years for this to work itself out. And um, again, how does the church function with three popes? Well, not very well, because technically there was one legitimate pope, two anti-popes, but even the legitimate pope, to stop the confusion, needed to step down so that finally a single pope can be uh, selected. Right, that's the Council of Constance in 1417, where they finally elect a new valid pope after all the other ones have stepped down, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, Ironically, 14. One, one, almost 100 years before uh, Martin Luther. Yes. And uh, one other interesting thing is one of the anti-popes was named John the Twenty-Third. Uh-huh. But yeah. since he was an anti-pope, that name did not count in the lineage of the popes. And That's right. so we had a John the Twenty-Third who right. is now a saint. That's right. That's right. Um, prior, sl- slightly prior to the Great Western Schism and the three, the reigning of the the three papal uh, uh, candidates or the Pope and the two anti-popes, you had the Avignon papacy where there were 12, a line of 12 popes almost before that who had been residing in Avignon in the um, southern France. That final um, Avignon pope who returned to Rome, he returned to and kind of precipitated this crisis almost by coming back to Rome. He was urged to do that by St. Catherine of Siena. So she she's here at the kind of the beginning of this crisis, um, urging him to return to Rome. But what that does is it, um, I, I see this as a, in some ways, a freeing of the, of the church from this domination by the French. It was, you know, the French kind of had their thumb on the, the, the levers of power in the church for that time of the Avignon papacy. Um, and this was part of the church regaining its independence. We're quickly running out of time. So I want to touch on briefly on the reformation and all this in a way leads us up to the reformation, the confusion in Rome, the, um, and we didn't touch on Alexander the sixth who, in spite of his moral failings, was very interested in reforming the church. Uh, because of his moral failings, he didn't get much traction in his um, revision of the Curia. But um, one of the things that he was very much interested in is beauty. And he employed several of the famous uh, artists, Raphael, Michelangelo, uh, Pinto uh, uh, Riccio. Um, but all this costs money, and uh, people were asked to send money to Rome. And this continued, and this is part of what led to the Reformation. And um, Martin Luther, uh, one of his main topics was the fact that some of the bishops were selling indulgences and um, 
this led Luther to uh, denounce the ability of the Pope to even say there is such a thing as an indulgence because it's not explicitly stated in Scripture. And so all these things led up to the Reformation. And again, the Reformation uh, is something that's still going on. We have, it's not something that was ever overcome by the church. It is part of our the world we live in. And this has been going on for 500 years. Mm-hmm. And so when we pray for the reunification of the Christian churches, what we're basically saying is that we want the world to change to what it should be, one united holy church. And so, uh, again, our understanding of time, the whole notion that, you know, we want things now. I think all these things happening in the church are a constant reminder that we are called to be faithful. And uh, we need to make sure that uh, we accept the fact that there are things that we cannot change in a moment's notice, and we have to always seek the truth. Thaddeus, thank you for doing this. Uh, thank you. Uh, Deacon Mike, was enjoyable. It was, and uh, we didn't get into half the stuff that we were going to talk about. Um, but, but if you, uh, if people want to hear the rest of the conversation, they can uh, become a monthly subscriber and catch it on an extra that we're going to do right after this. And also I want to point out that if you go back on our podcast archives for Red Sea Roundup, I had a conversation on October 31st of 2017 with Steve Weidenkopf about who's a Reformation historian about the Reformation. You can check that out. Right. So uh, I want to remind everyone that uh, next Wednesday we have Gene Wilhelm as the host of the Red Sea Roundup. Remember to tune in for that. And uh, I want to encourage everyone, if you have something that you like about our programming, something that you... <laughs> dislike about our programming please go ahead and uh, give us a call until then when considering the many ways in which you might share your time talents and treasure with the people of God always round up shake off rumors and talking